Canto 11, chapter 23, Forbearance, the song of the Avanti Brahmana. The son of Vyasa said, After Uddhava, the greatest of the devotees, had said this to him, the chief of the Dasharas, whose heroism is so worthy to be discussed, he praised his servant for his words and replied. The Supreme Lord said, O disciple of Brihaspati, in this world there is virtually no pious soul capable of keeping his mind in check after being disturbed by the insulting words of an uncivilized person. A person is not as much hurt when pierced by arrows through a sensitive part of his body as by the painful arrows of the harsh words of uncivilized people getting lodged in his heart. In this regard, Uddhava, a most pious story is told. Please listen carefully. I shall describe it to you. It was related by a mendicant who, upon being insulted by bad people, kept his composure, reminding himself that it happened as a consequence of his past deeds. In Avanti, in the district of Malva, there once lived a certain Brahmin, very rich with many opulences, who earned his livelihood doing business. But he was a miserly person, full of lust, greed and very prone to anger. He had no respect for his relatives and guests, not even in words, nor catered he, devoid of religiosity, at the right time to his own needs. His sons, in-laws, his wife, daughters and servants turned against the miser with his bad character and in disgust withheld their affection. Thus, lacking in dharma as well as pleasure, the five claimants of sacrifice became angry with that obsessive treasurer who failed for both the worlds, this and the next. By his neglect of them, he lost all his credit, O magnanimous one, and all the wealth for which he so painstakingly had troubled himself was lost. O Uddhava, a part of the wealth of this so-called Brahmin was seized by his relatives, some by thieves, some by providence, some by time, some by common people, and some by higher authorities. When he had lost his property, in him who, devoid of religiosity and pleasure, was neglected by his kin, arose a heart to endure anxiety. Thus ruminating, he, choked with tears for a long time, lamented in pain over his lost riches, whereupon a great feeling of disgust for wealthy affairs came over him. He then said to himself, Alas, how painful to trouble myself that much with all this toiling for money that brought me neither pleasure nor served the dharmic purpose. In general, the wealth of misers never ever results in any happiness. In this life it leads to self-torment, and when they die, they end up in hell with it. However pure the reputation of the famous may be, or however praiseworthy the qualities of the virtuous are, it is all destroyed with a little greed, just like what white leprosy does with an enchanting physical beauty. In the building up, realizing, increasing, protecting, spending, losing off and rejoicing with capital, man must toil, fear, worry and live with uncertainty. Theft, violence, lies, duplicity, lust, anger, perplexity, pride, discord, 
enmity, lack of faith, competition and the three dangers of intoxication, promiscuity and gambling are the fifteen unwanted things known by man as the consequence of fostering riches. He who desires the ultimate benefit in life should therefore keep the undesirable that poses as wealth at a great distance. Once brothers, wife, parents and friends who are unified in love all from one moment to the next turn into enemies over a single penny. For the smallest amount of money they agitated give in to anger, very quickly as an adversary out for destruction forget their goodwill and turn you down in the wink of an eye. They who do not appreciate it as a human being to have achieved a birth the immortals pray for, with next to that even a superior second birth, destroyed their self-interest and had for an unfavorable destination. What person who achieved this human life, this gateway to heaven and liberation, would attach to property, a realm of meaninglessness where he is subject to death? When one does not share with the ones who deserve a share, the great family of the gods, the seers, the forefathers, one's relatives, the living entities and oneself, one falls down like a money-minded yaksha. What can one do as an old man when one, maddened by one's youth, strength and wealth, the means by which a smart man settles for his perfection, has wasted one's life endeavoring for money? How does even a man of intelligence fall victim to a never-ending vain pursuit of wealth? All the world is most bewildered enchanted by some kind of inescapable illusory power. What is the use of the goods or they who provide them, or what would be the use of the objects of desire or the people who try to satisfy you? Or differently stated, of what use is it for someone in the grip of death to be engaged in fruitive activities that only lead to yet another birth? The Supreme Lord, the Supreme Personality who comprises all the gods and who, satisfied with me, led me to this condition of detachment, constitutes the boat for the soul to cross the material ocean. With the time remaining in my life, I will, free from confusion about the complete of my self-interest, restrict my body to the minimum and find perfect peace within myself. May the gods, the controllers of the three worlds, with this be pleased with me. Was it not Kathfanga who achieved the spiritual boat in a single moment? The Supreme Lord said, Thus making up his mind, the most pious Brahmin from Avanti untied the knots of desire in his heart and became a peaceful, silent mendicant. He wandered this world alone and inconspicuous, and entered, with his self, senses and vital air under control, its cities and villages to subsist on charity. Seeing him as an old, dirty beggar, low-class people dishonored him with many an insult, O blessed soul! Some stole away his triple staff, his begging bowl, his water-pot and his seed, while others took his prayer beads and his torn rags. Showing them to him, they offered them back, and then took them again away from the sage. When he, at the river shore, wanted to enjoy his share of the food he had acquired by begging, the grave sinners urinated upon it and spat on his head. 
he who after his vow of silence did not speak, they would challenge to speak, beating him when he kept silent. Some shouted, This one is a thief, while others said, Tie him up, bind him, and bound him in ropes. Some taunted him with disrespect, like, This one is a religious hypocrite, a cheater who lost his wealth, was thrown out by his family, and has now taken to this profession. See how this person, who in his silence pursues his goal as powerful and steadfast as the king of the mountains, is as firmly determined as a deceptive heron. Some ridiculed him speaking thus, while others passed foul air and, binding him in change, kept the Brahmin captive like a pet animal. Thus subjected to the three types of impositions as caused by other living beings, by higher powers and by his own nature, he understood that whatever came his way befell him because of fate. Being insulted by lowly people trying to get the better of him, he, fixed in goodness, keeping firm to his duty, sang the following song. The Brahmin said, These people are not the cause of my happiness or distress, nor can I blame the demigods, my body, the planets, my karma or the time. It is, according to the standard authorities, nothing but the mind that causes someone to rotate in the cycle of material life. The mind, acquiring the qualities of the modes, becomes very strong because of them, and thus gives rise to the different sorts of white, good, red, passionate and black, ignorant activities that lead to the conditions, the societal classes, corresponding to those colors. The uninvolved supersoul of transcendental enlightenment, as a friend, exists along with and perceives the struggling mind that, with the image of the world it carries, embraces the objects of desire. It is in the engagement with the modes of nature that the individual soul, bewildered by that mind, gets entangled in attachment. Charity, once prescribed duty, niyama, yama and listening to the scripture, pious works and the purification by vows all entail the subduing of the mind and have as their aim the absorption of the mind that constitutes the supreme self-realization of yoga. What would be the use of charitative rituals and such for someone whose mind has been pacified by perfectly being absorbed in him? Or why would one in addition occupy oneself with these processes of distribution and such when one has lost one's way with a mind not under control. Other gods, and the senses they represent, have always fallen under the control of the mind that itself never allows the control of anything or anyone else. He constitutes a fearsome god stronger than the strongest, and the one who, in the form of his mantras, can bring him under control is therefore the god of gods. When one, being worldly engaged, fails to subdue that difficult-to-conquer enemy, tormenting and attacking because of its unmanageable urges, some, therefore, being utterly bewildered, create useless quarrels, and are thus, with the mortals in this world, friends, neutrals and rivals. People, whose entire mind is seized by their body, think in terms of I and mine, and are thus blinded in their intelligence. Because of this difficult-to-defeat illusion of this I am and that is someone else, they wander around in darkness. 
when you say that Adibautica, another human being, is the cause of your happiness or distress, you may wonder what this means for the soul. Happiness and distress thus seen belong to the earth, and not to the soul, who finds happiness by self-realization. With whom can you be angry about the pain when your tongue happens to be bitten by your own teeth? When you Adidaivika say that the gods are responsible for your suffering, then how would that relate to your soul? That suffering pertains to the changeable nature of the senses and their rulers the soul stands apart from. With whom should you be angry when one limb of your body hurts another limb? Saying that the soul itself, Adhyatmika, would be the cause of your happiness and distress, what is then the place of another soul in that respect of your nature? If there would not be anything or anyone outside of your soul, that would include these physical emotions and thus be false. With whom should one be angry when there is no happiness or distress at all? If the planets would be the cause of one's happiness and distress, how would that relate to the soul who is unborn? The heavenly bodies relate to that what is born. A planet is only troubled by other planets, so they say. So with whom should the living being distinguished from his body and his planetary positions be angry then? If you assume karma to be the cause of your happiness and distress, what does that karma then mean to your soul? Certain is that with the animating person, on the one hand, and this animated body endowed with consciousness that on itself is not alive, on the other hand, neither of both constitute the root cause of your karma. What is there left to be upset about then? And if we say that time would be the cause of our happiness and distress, where do we find the soul in that notion? The soul is not equal to the time, the way fire is not equal to its heat and snow is not equal to cold. With whom must one be angry when there is no duality in the transcendental position? For him, the spiritual soul, superior in transcendence, does not from anyone, from whatever side or in any way, the influence of the duality of happiness and distress, the influence of the world of opposites, as can be seen with the arising false ego of the mind being seized that shapes one's material existence. He who awakens to this intelligence has nothing to fear from the material creation with all her living beings. By the worship of Mukunda's feet, I will cross over the difficult-to-defeat ocean of material nations. I am certain of this because of the foregoing great seers who were firmly fixed in the worship of the Supreme Soul. The Supreme Lord said, while he had lost his wealth and gotten detached, while he had left his home and free from moroseness travelled the earth, the sage, despite being insulted by rascals, did not forsake his duties and spoke this song. There is no other cause of happiness and grief than the bewilderment of someone's mind that in material life out of ignorance created its friends, neuters and enemies. Therefore, my best, bring in every respect with an intelligence absorbed in me the mind under control, entertain, thus being connected, the essence of the science of yoga. Whoever with full attention meditates on, makes others listen, or listens himself to this song based upon the knowledge of the Absolute as sung by the mendicant, will for certain never again be overwhelmed by the dualities of happiness and grief.